0: Welcome to the July 5th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, and the sermon is entitled, Cleansing the Temple, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. As we gather here, God bless us that we are together in His grace. We're going to continue on in in a sermon series. Take your Bible. Turn with me to John chapter 2. We are moving ahead one more step in a sermon series through the Gospel of John. In the latter part of old disciple John's life, he is the one disciple who lived the longest. Most of the other disciples of Jesus died early deaths as martyrs. But God allowed John to live to an old age. And he writes the biography of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He writes the biography of Jesus as a minister of God. And although his walk with Jesus as a disciple was probably 50 years prior to his writing this gospel, he writes it as if it happened yesterday. He writes it with such clarity of mind, and of course, God Almighty is guiding the old disciple John as he writes these words down. John had a ministry with Christ, and I'm sure as he walked with the Lord, he filed away millions of memories of what happened as he walked with Jesus those three years but in this gospel John chose to write down only the essentials he he hit the high points the mountaintops of Jesus ministry he culled through those millions of memories that he had and he boiled it all down to the highest peaks as God led him and in these few pages of the gospel of John John wrote his final witnessing tool. He wrote this gospel of Jesus to say, this is how the Lord impacted my life, and this is how the Lord came to me and saved me. But I'm writing this gospel down to say he can be your Savior as well. This is a witnessing tool, and he teaches us that in the gospel. We're now in chapter 2, and at this point, Jesus is establishing a powerful ministry, and it is growing by the day. He has brought forth, as we studied last week, this first miracle of water to wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And more and more, eyes and hearts are turning toward Him, and people are beginning to follow Him and lives are changing. Now today we're coming to a very primary pivotal moment in the life of Christ where he cleanses the temple. We see a a, a part of Jesus' ministry and a part of his personality that doesn't surface very o- often but it is very real. It's very much a part of who Jesus the Son of God is. He literally cleans house at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, as we come to this Scripture, let me begin with two verses that tell us about what a traveler Jesus is, how He travels in His ministry. Look with me to John chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Remember that Jesus had performed the miracle of water to wine in the town of Cana, Of Galilee just before this passage. So we pick up now after the wedding is done. Remember it was a week-long celebration. That celebration is now done. Jesus is traveling on. So look at John chapter 2 verse 12. After this, after the wedding, after the week is complete, after this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Those two verses tell us a whole lot about the traveling ministry of Jesus, the Son of God. According to those two verses, Jesus and his mother and his brethren, probably his brothers and his disciples, leave Cana, and they travel to the city of Capernaum. Now, that's about 18 miles by foot. I guess they made it in a day, but that's a long day to travel 18 miles by foot. Now, although Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and although he was raised in Nazareth, it seems that Capernaum became the city where he was most closely identified as home base of his ministry. He went there many times in the three years of his public ministry. Capernaum was an important Galilean city. It was on a major trade route. It was on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus called Matthew as a disciple in the city of Capernaum. As Matthew was a tax collector, sitting at his tax table, Jesus calls him into discipleship, into ministry. So, Capernaum was a very important city in the life and in the ministry of Jesus. So, after the wedding of Cana of Galilee, Jesus and his entourage go to Capernaum, about 18 miles travel. And Scripture says they stay there not many days. They spend just a few days there. But the Jewish Passover is coming. And, of course, that is a rite of faith for the Jew that if it's any way possible, you are to head to Jerusalem and to the temple ground so that you can celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem at the temple when that holy day comes. So John briefly says this in these two verses He says that Jesus went from Cana to Capernaum, stayed in Capernaum just a few days, then he traveled to Jerusalem. Well, that sounds like a a minor statement, but from Capernaum to Jerusalem was 80 miles. So in other words, in the span of just a week or so, Jesus and his entourage are walking nearly 100 miles. (laughs) That's encased in two little verses, but you have to dig it out to find out that he was a real traveler. Jesus was a strong man. Jesus was a man's man. I think so often we, we see this meek little man who has these meek little words, and we miss the true personality of who Jesus is. But he was a man's man. He was a strong man. Any man that can walk 100 miles in about a week has some strength in his legs. And in the course of just that few days, he makes that trip. I'll I'll never forget as a boy, getting ready for church in the mornings, on Sunday mornings, my dad would always get ready first. He'd clear out. We only had one bathroom in the house. So dad would get in early, take his bath, and clear out of the bathroom so mama and the kids could have the bathroom to get ready. And dad would study his Sunday school lesson while we three were getting ready, treading out the bathroom. And one Sunday morning, I remember this so well, Dad was reading, and obviously he was in his lesson, he was talking about how much of a traveler Jesus was, how many miles he could cover. And I'll never forget Dad saying, man, that guy could walk a lot. Why do you remember those things? But I remember Dad saying that as he studied his lesson But yes, they did walk a lot. And yes, Jesus was a strong man who covered many miles and much territory in the course of his ministry. So as Jesus comes to Jerusalem, having gone from Cana to Capernaum, from Capernaum to Jerusalem, somewhere around a hundred mile trip, maybe a little less, as he comes into Jerusalem on this holiest of days for the Jews and for their faith in God. And this is a celebration day as Israel remembers how the death angel passed over Israel when they were ending up their captivity in Egypt. And as the death angel goes through and claims the lives of the firstborn males, both of the human population as well as the animal population, the Israelites were spared the death angel. Why? Because God said, if you belong to me, paint the doorpost and the lintel of your home with the blood of the lamb. And when the death angel passes through, I will pass over you in death. And so this is a celebration thanking God that he passed death over the Israelites as they were winding up their captivity in Egypt. And their sign as God's people was the blood of the Lamb. It is still true today. The sign of being God's people is the blood of the Lamb, the perfect Lamb, Jesus the Christ, the sacrificial Lamb, Who had no sin. Well, as Jesus in his public ministry nears ground zero of Passover meaning that he's coming up to the temple grounds. That's the place of the celebration. That's the place where people are thronging around the temple, and and the city is full of people because they're coming from all over the world to celebrate Passover on this special day. And he sees the crowds, and he sees the movement, and he sees that all of the streets around the temple are busy with people. He hears voices as they shout out. But then he notices that a lot of the shouting is because business is taking place on the temple grounds. It sounds like a barnyard as caged and tied animals are tied around the perimeter of the court of the Gentiles at the temple. And that's where we pick up Scripture today. Turn with me to John chapter 2, go to verse 13. John 2 verse 13 And hear these words through verse 17. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew their tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now, this is a portion of this account of Jesus' life. We will continue in the second part of it next week. But let's consider this much. It's more than enough for a sermon today. Jesus approaches the temple grounds on this holy season, and this is what he sees. On the grounds of the outer courtyard of the Gentiles, of course, the Gentiles are allowed just on the outside perimeter of the temple grounds, and then it moves on to Israel getting closer and closer to the temple itself. But as it gets to the outer courtyard of the temple, there are money tables set up. I want you to remember that people from all over the world came to celebrate the Passover with the Jewish population in Jerusalem. And so the table of the money changers are set up to exchange foreign currency so people who wanted to give an offering at the temple on Passover could give it in local money, so to speak. So money changers were sitting there to change out the foreign currency so it would be local currency when the people went into the temple to give an offering. But of course, the money changers at their tables didn't do that free of charge. They charged a fee in order to change the foreign currency into local currency. And it was to their profit. When all of these foreigners came into the city of Jerusalem and all of this foreign money came in, it was to their profit to exchange their money to local money. They put money in their pockets by this business venture of exchanging foreign to local currency. But not only that, the money changers made a profit, but a part of their income had to go back to the high priest of the temple who rented out the temple grounds to those who wanted to buy and sell there. So not only did the money changers make money, or the farmers who brought animals there make money, but also the leadership of the Jews, the high priest. And the Pharisees and the scribes were making money because they charged for the people to set up on the grounds that they might do their sales business there. So it was a, a, a truly a, a money-making venture here. And then, too, farmers would bring their stockyard animals to the temple, and they also rented space from the high priest to sell their sheep and their goats and their oxen for people to sacrifice to God. Maybe all of this started out with good intention. With all of those who were coming to the temple grounds, maybe with good intentions, people said, we need to provide sacrifices for those who are traveling so far. They can't lead a sheep or a goat to many miles to get to Jerusalem, so we'll provide sacrifices for them. So perhaps it started out with a positive thing and in a good way, but over time it changed from a ministry of helping people to a business of just getting their money. So the courtyard at Passover had nothing at all to do with approaching the holiness of God. It was a sales venture. It was all about turning a dollar for profit. And when Jesus approaches what's happening here, not only did he see the business transactions taking place at God's house, but as the Son of God, he knew the hearts of those who were doing all of this buying and selling. He knew the hearts of the high priest and the Pharisees and the scribes who were also making money here. They weren't there to worship God. They were there to line their bank account. And John says, when Jesus sees what's happening there, as He comes into all this tumult of people and animals and money taking place, changing hands, John says Jesus makes a small whip, a scourge. The Greek word is fragelion, a short whip. And He charges. He doesn't just mints his way into the court of the Gentiles. He charges into the court of the Gentiles. And he is swinging this scourge as he goes through the crowds of people. And He approaches the farmers, and He drives out the farmers, and He he drives out all of these animals that are tied and caged. And so, the streets of Jerusalem turn into kind of a bedlam of animals running to and fro because Jesus was driving them out of the court of the Gentiles with this whip. Farmers tried to track down and catch their animals, and Jesus was driving them out with a holy righteousness and a holy anger. And he approaches the tables of the money changers and it says that he pours out their money and he takes the the tables by the lip of the table and he flips the tables over into their laps because he's so filled with a righteous anger of what is happening at God's house. Have you ever had somebody come at you and you know they're coming at you with a purpose in mind? Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe they're coming at you. I could always tell when my Aunt Frances came at me, it was always with a hug. Come here, little sweet thing, I wanna give you a hug. But perhaps you've had someone striding toward you and you thought, uh oh, this is gonna be an explosive conversation. So, for the positive and for the negative, I think all of us have been in situations situation where we see someone coming our way, and we know that we are their target. We are the ones that they're directing their attention to. When these money changers sat at their tables, they witnessed Jesus swinging this whip and running out the farmers and releasing the animals into the streets. He was driving them all out. Bedlam is breaking out, and then he starts sprinting toward their tables. And they know that he's coming for them as well as coins roll and clatter all over the temple grounds. And these money changers are down on their knees trying to pick up their precious money so they don't lose any of it, so someone won't come through and steal that which is on the ground. It's an amazing sight. And while these guys don't want to lose their money, they also don't want to confront the man with the whip. Because he is displaying some righteous anger here. And then Jesus thirdly studies the dove salesman. You'll notice that in the passage. Basically, doves are cheap sacrifices. Those who can't afford a sheep or a goat or an oxen will buy a pair of doves to sacrifice. The poor people. In fact, if you remember when Mary and Joseph came to dedicate their son Jesus at the temple, they sacrificed the birds Tells us something about their financial background. They weren't rich people. But Jesus approaches the dove salesman and he says, I want you to get all of these cages out of here. I want you out. Don't make my father's house a place of money making, don't make my father's house a place of business. Don't make my father's house a place of merchandise. If this happened today, you know what Jesus would say? Don't make my father's house a Walmart or a stockyard. This is a place of holiness where we celebrate and thank God for his faithfulness to his people, not a place to make money. And then remember, taking all this in are these new disciples Jesus called. Maybe they'd only seen the the mild Jesus as he called them in the ministry and followed his initial steps in ministry. But they are seeing now, early on, they're seeing his holy indignation and his anger over the mistreatment and the sinful usage of God's house. And the disciples are watching him in wide-eyed wonder as to what's happening here. And as they stand there in amazement, maybe they're standing there in sheer shock at what they're seeing as Jesus is going through the crowd with this scourge, this whip. This gentleman of God had risen up, and they were seeing a side of him they had never seen. They had seen his side of love over and over again, but now they're seeing the side of justice. And I want you to know this, ladies and gentlemen, that God's love is perfectly balanced with God's justice, God's righteousness. Righteousness. Yes, God is a God of love, but our God is a God of righteousness as well. We see that in this passage. And as they stand there in shock, perhaps, as they see the embodiment of God's righteousness in this moment, this Scripture comes to their minds. It's in Psalm 69, verse 9, that says, The zeal for God's house, the zeal for God's holiness has eaten him up, has consumed him has taken over in his mind and in his heart, that he is standing up in a righteous way for the holiness of his Father. This is, what a passage this is. And this passage is in all four of the Gospels. What a side of Jesus that John and Matthew and Mark and Luke want us to see. We can't miss this side of the personality of the perfect Son of God, Jesus. Yes, He is the Lord of love, but He is also the Lord of justice, and we see that here. As a church, we need to remember that here. Now, certainly financially, we're grateful for the offerings, the money that comes in here. So I I say this within the message today. Your support financially is so well used in your church. You support your staff. Thank you very much. You support the bills that come into the church, electricity and utilities and all that stuff. More importantly importantly than that, we raise money for our missionaries and for mission purposes that are supported around the world and some of our own missionaries around the world. We also want to have a long-term effect of looking down the road, seeing how God wants us to provide for His church, building-wise or otherwise in days that are ahead. So the need for money is absolutely essential to the church. I will say that to you. It was true from the first century on that the church has needed money in order to conduct its ministry. And the Bible commissions you and me to be tithers as we give to the ministry that our God will carry out into the world. Now, there are thousands of godly causes out there, all of them good in so many ways. Malachi 3.10 says that we are to give our tithe into the storehouse. Where's that? That's here. The storehouse of God's people, your church, is where the tithe is supposed to come. But listen, here's Jesus' point. Money does not define us. Money does not run us. Money is not our goal. Money does not rule us. How much we have or how fancy our building is is not the cause of Christ. Money is just a little piece of the way that God provides for us to be ministers in this world because this world is lost and dying and we need to go out as witnesses in this world. Money is part of our operation for sure, but, but listen, it's not, it's not the church's life's blood. I think many churches believe it is. The bigger the offering, the, the more important a church we are. No, money is not the church's life's blood, but rather ministry is the church's life's blood. Working for Christ, sharing the gospel, that's the life of the church. Huge offerings will not save one person. The fanciest building in the world cannot save one individual. It is only the love and the grace and the gift of the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ that brings salvation to a heart and to a life. So what we truly need as a church is clear preaching of the Word, clear teaching of the Word, and a congregation of people who are on fire to do His will and His ministry in this world that we walk from this place to honor our holy God. We're not a place of merchandise. We're a place of ministry, a place of holiness of God, and we are to honor Him and serve Him and love Him day by day as we worship together and as we go into the world as ministers. So thank you for giving. That is part of our ministry. Thank you. But ministry goes far beyond the pocketbook into the fields of service where, as Jesus said in John 4, 35, those fields are white for harvest. In other words, they're ripe. If the world was ever ripe for Jesus Christ, it is today. And the world needs Him. We have Him. And we are to be His people going into the world to share that good news. Thank you for teaching Sunday school. Thank you for shepherding children we're going to get back to that as soon as we possibly can thank you for leading in missions thank you daily for opening your bible thank you for worshiping together thank you for speaking good words of the savior and good words about your church when you're out there in the community but far beyond being a giver jesus tells us to be a doer of the word of god We are to be a doer. This passage keeps it all in perspective as how we are to honor the holiness of God and that we're to be witnesses for Him because truly we are in the life-saving business. We're in the life-saving business. Eternity is affected by how we will live in this week that is to come. My eternity was affected by a little Sunday school teacher named Millie Logan. I pray that I can be a Millie Logan to someone else in this world because I know how valuable she was in my life. You know, something this passage teaches us is that God is love, God is loving, and we want to emphasize that. But so often we leave out the justice of God and the righteousness of God. You know, one day, and I'm getting close to the end of my sermon here, one day multitudes are going to mistakenly stand before the holiness of God and they're going to be thinking... God is love. He'll forgive me no matter what I've done in my earthly past because God is, to me, an old grandpa sort, and He's going to forgive me no matter what. And many are going to stand in shock before God because they're going to be sorrowfully surprised when God will say, according to Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, you never came to me. You never worshiped me. You never had a personal relationship with me. I never knew you. So depart from me. Eternally depart from me. Yes, God is love, but God is just. I pray, ladies and gentlemen, those of us who are believers, and this applies behind the pulpit to me as much as it does to you there and out there streaming. Jesus sometimes needs a clean house right here. Maybe today, believer, it's time for a house cleaning so that you and I will fall on our knees before the holiness of God. We get so distracted by so many things, money being one of them, that we neglect his holiness. I pray that we will fall on our knees before him and say, Lord God, help me keep in perspective who you are that I might serve you in your holiness. Clean house in my heart and redirect me to what's important. Final thing if you've never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, all the money in the world can't buy what I'm going to say Jesus will give you right now. You need to tell the Lord, I'm sorry for my sin and I want to accept the gift of the cross that Jesus died on that I might be forgiven. Lord, I want you to receive me as your son or your daughter through that cross, your forgiveness through your empty tomb to give me eternal life. Lord, I need you. I know there's only one way to a relationship with you and that's receiving you as my savior. Money can't buy this. All the stuff in the world can't earn this. It's a free gift. And he gave himself to a cross that you might have it right now, whether you're sitting in a home situation, or you're going to hear this on a podcast somewhere down the road, or you're right here in the sanctuary. If you've never come to Jesus, he's inviting you to him right now. This is something money cannot buy, but it will last for eternity. Come to him. He wants to be your Savior. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments. Thank you, Father, for allowing me... This moment of holiness to stand in this pulpit today. Bless us now in this holy moment, Lord. We have just closed the passage where Jesus cleansed the temple. Probably in every temple of a believer's life there's something that needs to be cleansed. So Lord, I pray just as we are that we will come to you today and say, Lord God, cleanse me so that I might be a servant that belongs wholly to you. If there's one who needs you as Savior, Lord, today is that day that they can give their heart to you and come as a child of God to the life-changing moment that you move into their heart. Forgive them of sin and give them an eternal home. Bless that one right now, this moment, wherever they are. Bless us, Father, we pray as you speak to our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen.